We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning. Well, it is a great day for conservatives, particularly those out of Louisiana. Attorney General Jeff Landry, a Republican backed uh, by former President Donald Trump, has won the Louisiana governor's race this weekend, holding off a crowd, a crowded field of candidates. This, according to the Associated Press, I'm sure they loved to write that headline. And this is a, a win that is a major victory for the GOP as they reclaim the governor's mansion for the first time time in eight years. Uh, Jeff Landry uh, has been an exceptional attorney general. He is a good friend of mine. Um, I got to know him while I worked for former President Trump and um, is an all around just a stellar person. And I'm very excited to see uh, that seat go to a really, really great conservative. So uh, let's turn now to Washington and the fight for the uh, the U.S. House of Representatives Speaker of the House seat. Of course, that was vacated several weeks ago. And Steve Scalise has now dropped out of the race with about 30 or 40 never Scalise. Um, it seems like this whole, you know, you recall the never Trumpers and now there's always the never whoever's that say that under any circumstances they won't vote for an individual. There were about 30 or 40 of the Republican coalition, according to reports, that said they would not back Scalise for Speaker. So he has has dropped out. Um, so really the front runner now and the only one currently running is Representative Jim Jordan. And uh, reports out of Washington are that the first vote will likely happen tomorrow sometime, possibly even as early as tomorrow morning. So joining me now to discuss all this and more is Congressman Russell Fry out of the great state of South Carolina. Good morning, sir. And uh, where are we sitting in terms of getting a speaker? Good morning, Jenna, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, I, I think we are close. I think uh, some of the members that I saw as maybe potential problems seem to be coming around, uh, but the vote is tomorrow. Um, there are certainly those who, uh, for whatever reason, don't want to see Jim Jordan be elected as speaker. But the reality, Jenna, is, and I think your listeners know this, what other options are out there? There is no one else who can telegraph a good conservative message in a positive way like a Jim Jordan. And at the end of the day, we need to get back to work. Yeah. And, and so is the vote actually scheduled for tomorrow? It's my understanding that the, um, the current speaker that's, uh, that's just filling that seat has to actually call and schedule it. Has it been scheduled at this point? Uh, at noon uh, tomorrow. So we uh, fly back tonight. And uh, at noon tomorrow is the first vote. I think uh, the the I, the message was that Chairman Jordan and others wanted the weekend to kind of shore up support, make sure that they were ready to go. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, if there are holdouts, let's see who they are. I mean, they're kind of in the shadows right now, and you hear about it with the media, who's certainly trying to divide the conference itself. Um, let's go to the floor and vote. I'm ready. Right. Yeah. And so that'll be a public vote. And so then uh, all of the constituents can see which Republicans might be holdouts. And, uh, you know, Jim Jordan would be an excellent leader. He's certainly been a stalwart conservative. Um, You know, it seems like the Republican conference, even the moderates, would have to want someone like Jim Jordan well over uh, Hakeem Jeffries, for example. And there have also been reports uh, by various media circles uh, that some Republicans are considering going along with the Democrat coalition uh, to to try to basically say, you know, we don't want Jim Jordan. And so we're going to look at uh, potentially going along with the Democrats. Is that something is that is there any legitimacy to that? You know, I've, I've heard those rumors and I've actually tweeted about that yesterday. Um, that, that would be the most reckless thing that we could do. We need, you know, the American people elected Republicans across the board. Um, we have the gavels. We have control. We need to select our own speaker. And right now, at the end of the day, like you just mentioned, Jim Jordan comes out of conference. He's got a ton of votes. He has the majority of the majority in conference. So let's go to the floor and back our nominee. I really just don't understand the hesitation. And I get the frustration that people are upset with the McCarthy vote or whatever. But, you know, that is, you know, that is yesterday. It's time to move on. Jim Jordan was not a culprit in that. He didn't have anything to do with that. In fact, he supported McCarthy throughout the, you know, the race. Don't don't punish him and the opportunity for a good speaker and the opportunity to get back to work uh, because you have your feelings hurt about what happened three weeks ago. It's time to move on uh, and it's time to get a speaker. And Jim Jordan is the best person to be able to do that. I'm speaking with Congressman Russell Fry out of South Carolina, and there was a report this weekend that McCarthy himself is even backing Jim Jordan. And so the people who are uh, upset over McCarthy's uh, ouster, well, he doesn't even appear to be that upset anymore if he is now backing uh, Jordan for speaker and saying, you know, let's get someone else in there. He has said that he is not going to resign from the U.S. House of Representatives. Those rumors were also flying. And so, um, you know, this is something that hopefully the uh, conservative and Republican coalition can get together and say, we do need to get back to work. So what really is the problem for these moderates? I mean, what what is it about the speaker's position that they would say, oh, someone like a Jim Jordan is too far right, or, um, you know, we need someone that could can uh, be, you know, can, can take the coalition more broadly together. I mean, what is it about the speaker's position that they would even object to someone like a Jim Jordan? Well, it's, you know, from my understanding, just reading, you know, because the, the people that I've talked to are all on board, uh, but reading the news reports on these kind of faceless, anonymous congressmen that are out there that aren't putting their name by anything is that, you know, they're still upset by the McCarthy thing. But here's the thing, Jenna, we got to move on. We have to start working. We have to, you know, deal with the, the Hamas situation in Israel. We have to deal with the economy. We have to deal with these oversight hearings. And, when we don't have the Senate, we don't have the White House, the mainstream media is definitely not in our corner, never has been. Who else can unify the party, unify the base, and telegraph a message to the American people that really puts wind in our sails to get the job done? And there's no better person to do that uh, than a Jim Jordan. 
And I'm speaking with Congressman Russell Fry. And, sir, you were part of the GOP freshman class. And so in terms of actually getting to work and uh, doing the business that uh, your constituents elected you to go to Washington to see, how frustrating is this for you to, to get there and to kind of see uh, what what is broken in Washington? And, you know, you're part of the majority now, which is absolutely great. I mean, you didn't go in um, in the minority. And so uh, in terms of just how, how I think average Americans see this, where it's like, can't can't uh, the people in Washington just get over the, the political nature of it and actually uh, accomplish the business of Washington? What have you observed as a freshman congressman that um, either frustrated you or maybe you didn't expect? Well, the frustration, I think, and I echo this for, for the large, actually most, if not all, of the freshman class is that we come to Washington to battle about ideas, and instead we're battling personalities, and, and I think it frustrates all of us, and it should frustrate every American. You know, put your ego aside. Let's get the job done. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, whoever's in the chair, because of the way the rules are constructed, whoever's in that chair it doesn't matter as much as maybe it used to. And so let's get back to debating ideas. We win on those. Conservatives win on those. When we divide ourselves on personalities or who offended whom or whatever the case is, that's where I get frustrated. That's where the American people are frustrated. The freshman class is frustrated. Uh, and so, you know, we're ready to work. We're ready to, to get the job done. Uh, and this tit-for-tat Washington, D.C. intrigue is just quite frankly, frustrating and maddening because we have a country to fix. That's why we got elected. Yeah, and speaking of fixing the country, um, has there been any talk while the speaker's race is ongoing about the continuing resolution that you know is only about uh, 20 days or so from expiring, um, how to resolve the potential looming government shutdown, and also uh, the issue with Israel and Hamas? Uh, that, of course, broke out after uh, the weekend after this, the uh, speaker's chair was vacated, so Congress has not had an opportunity to respond to that other than, obviously, individual representatives. So is there a discussion of uh, what the business will will be in terms of accomplishing that once there is the speaker, uh, or is everything just focused on the speaker's race? Well, everything has been focused on that. I, I know that there are discussions. Jim Jordan <clears throat> certainly has a plan on how to, how to get out of that and come out of this uh, ready to go. Um, but for right now, until we get a speaker, none of that can happen. And, and <clears throat> if people think oh, I'm not going to call my congressman. They don't listen to me anyway. They do. So call your congressman. Tell them how you feel. We need to get back to work. Uh, people pay attention to that. I, I often ask my staff when I come into the office, how are the calls? What are they talking about? What's the, what's the pulse of people that live in the district? Uh, and that really helps, and that should help. So call your member. Yeah, and, and I think people really do underestimate how much an individual phone call. I mean, people can uh, complain to themselves, they can complain on social media, uh, but really actually talking to your member is um, is really incredibly important. I always encourage our audience here at AFR, know your members, both uh, state and federal. Um, have them know you. They should know you by name, or at least their exactly. staff should, because you are involved enough to uh, want to truly be represented. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the U.S. House of Representatives. And um, and in the last uh, few minutes I have with you here, Congressman Russell Fry, um, you also uh, appeared on Fox Business this weekend um, talking about the um, $110 billion to Ukraine uh, that has, unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, conservatives are very frustrated about that um, and how much money is going to Ukraine without knowing how the money is spent. 
And yet, uh, now when there are discussions about helping support Israel, um, somehow that's not the same thing according to the left. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't be helping Israel at all according to them. So what is uh, what is your position and, and what is um, the, the tenor of the overall Republican caucus in terms of uh, how much money has been committed to Ukraine, but now looking at supporting Israel? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting just watching the votes at least a couple of weeks ago when we were doing some appropriations bills. You know, I venture to say like half the conference, at least half the conference supports uh, some measure of support for Ukraine. The other half are in the camp like me and like probably most of your listeners where it's, well, where has this money gone? What commitment have the Europeans given? Where, what are we doing? What's our objective here? We've never been explained an objective by the administration on what that looks like. Uh, and I think people are tired of that. Um, there is a there is an effort, I think, or by some to to link Ukraine and Israel funding under one bill, you know, which quite frankly is unfortunate uh, because people want separate votes on this. They do not, you know, they can be in the camp. They want to support Israel. They see what's going on. They are a strategic ally in the Middle East, have been for years, uh, but, but but then not maybe want to deal with the Ukraine issue right now. And so there are people in Washington that want to tether those together to accomplish both objectives. Um, And I think that's just a miscarriage of justice, quite frankly. We've got to get back to, you know, legislating on single issues. Uh, Don't lump these things together. Yeah, and and I think um, single issue voting is important, not just uh, for its own sake and being able to, for example, object to Ukraine but support Israel. That almost ties together uh, the votes that if you know that you want to support Israel, like I think um, a lot of Americans do, myself included, then it's almost like you have to suck it up and and just support Ukraine as well. Uh, But then it also doesn't allow for accountability so that you can go back and look at the record and say, how did your members vote? Um, so, So some of those things as well. I mean, is that something that um, that Jim Jordan could impact in terms of um, his leadership as a speaker? I think so. And, and I think, you know, Chairman Jordan, one, people trust him. I mean, he's 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 on he's on the news. He's done this for years. You know, he has a, a good plan. He has the ability to to telegraph the steps to the American people. And quite frankly, they're with him. And uh, I think that's healthy for the conference. I mean, I think that's healthy for the GOP when, you know, when the base is with us, when the American people are with us, we can go about it's easier to get your job done because, again, we don't have a lot of levers of power in Washington. We don't have the Senate. We don't have the, the White House. All the agencies are, you know, they've been uh, a disaster for quite some time. And so when you're kind of against the wall, the best the best cure for that is somebody who can telegraph that message, unify the country. Uh, and that's where Jim Jordan really shines. And that's where he shined for quite some time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he would be an excellent candidate. So uh, we will be praying uh, for you for the rest of the conference, for the rest of uh, the U.S. House of Representatives tomorrow on that important vote um, scheduled at noon. So, Congressman Russell Fry, thanks so much for joining. And you can always follow the congressman from South Carolina on social media. He's at Rep. Russell Fry. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, Republicans lost margins with the 18 to 29 year olds have nearly doubled in national elections since the year 2000. So there is a lot of chatter today about the effectiveness of conservative youth outreach efforts, especially when you have great organizations like my friend Charlie Kirk, who runs TPUSA, um, a lot of other different uh, conservative, not only on campus, but also uh, national organizations that try to get out the vote and appeal to uh, young people for conservative values and certainly faith-based values. So how can we attract young people to the conservative cause? Joining me now to discuss is my very dear friend, Brilliant Holly Hand, who is the RNC Youth Advisory Council co-chair and the host of the Brilliant Holly Hand show. So good morning, sir. And uh, how do we win the youth vote? Well, good morning, Jenna. Happy Monday. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back with you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the statistics that you read out are accurate. Uh, you know, Republicans lost margins uh, with, with 18 through 29 year old crowd. Um, you know, young voters have always, you know, kind of swinged towards the left over, over the years. And, and in the specific, you know, statistic that you read out, uh, that that swing to the left has doubled since the year 2000. Uh, you know, the DNC they founded their youth council in 2005. They've been focusing on my generation. They've been going after my generation. They have put youth voters as a priority, uh, you know, since 2005. And in every election since 2005, the Democrats have grown this gap between GOP young voters by over 30 percent. Obviously, what they're doing is effective. You know, back in January, I wrote this article titled The GOP Must Address the Elephant in the Room, Gen Z. It went viral overnight. I was on Fox and Friends the next morning talking about it. And I got a call from the Republican Party chairwoman, Lana McDaniel. And she said, you know, what can we do to kind of you know, make up for, you know, kind of this loss over, over decades at this point. And I said, look, it's embarrassing that, that you know, the, the DNC founded our youth council in 2005. We're almost 20 years behind them. So like you said in my intro, we founded a youth advisor council for the RNC. I'm helping co-chair that with, with a mutual friend of both of ours, Jenna, uh, CJ Pearson. And we, we officially launched that in May. We hit the ground running. Uh, you know, the interesting part about this poll specifically is it's 2000 to 2022. We started our youth council this year. And we've really been making great strides since. And, you know, I've been going uh, to different college campuses, giving speeches, working with the infrastructure that's already there, like you talked about, Turning Point USA, College Republicans, your YRs. You know, when we started the Youth Council, the chairwoman, you know, kind of wanted to spread this out across all 50 states. The DNC Youth Council has, you know, chapters in all 50 states. They've got 
individual captains on each campus. That's great. That's awesome. We need that. We have an election in a year, and we don't have enough time to build up an infrastructure ourselves since we're already so behind. So we're partnering with people like our friend Charlie Kirk. We're partnering with your CRs, your YRs, and we're getting information out to college campuses, and we're getting information out through social media, which you know more than anybody is how my generation is getting their information. So that's been our focus the past few months. And, you know, all this poll really does is reinforce my argument that this is an area that we've lacked on in the past and we must work on going forward. Yeah, really well said. Uh, Brilliant Holly Hand, who is uh, the RNC Youth Advisory Council co-chair, as he just mentioned, and also the host of the Brilliant Holly Hand Show. And, you know, you are a young person yourself. And I think, it, um, isn't this next 2024 election going to be the, your first election that you get to vote? It is. Yes, I'm so excited. I'll be 18 next summer. I'll be voting for the first time next November. I'm super excited. Amazing. And so um, so everyone listening, at least we have one more conservative that is voting, and that's, that's very <laughs> important. So um, and you are a great um, homeschooled student as well. And, you know, so for uh, for the parents that are listening as well, um, it seems like so many of the reports from college campuses show that a lot of college students get into some of these groups that aren't even necessarily politically minded, but the values are so leftist and they go into college campuses and their worldview uh, just completely changes and they embrace a lot of the leftist philosophies. So how can parents at home best uh, challenge that and encourage students um, like you? I mean, I was a homeschool student. I went to Colorado State, uh, maintained my Christian worldview all the way through. Um, How can parents encourage their young people to stay conservative, to keep the faith and um, to continue voting their values as they go into college? Sure, absolutely, Jenna. You know, I go to a private school, and I'm starting now to look at different colleges and where I'm going to go. I'm a junior in high school, so this is kind of becoming a real decision for me as well. Uh, you know, you and I have partnered with great universities like Liberty University, Hillsdale College, great places that are really conservative safe havens, that, you know, you already have that, that Christian, uh, you know, conservative community built around it. I know, you know, you and I are huge fans of those institutions, and I encourage anybody that's thinking about sending their child to college somewhere to go to, somebody, go to somewhere like that. So I'll, I'll share this story with your audience really quickly. Um, you know, I've been on the campaign tour traveling with the RNC over the past few weeks. I spent one week in, in Des Moines, Iowa, at the famous Iowa State Fair, and I spent another week in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And in those places, I wanted to go out on the streets and talk to real Iowa and Wisconsin voters about what issues matter to them. And I just didn't want to do what Fox or ABC or CNN does when they go on the streets. I wanted to make sure I talked to youth voters. And um, in both cities, both, you know, major state in this upcoming election next November, I targeted young voters. So I found about 20 youth voters on the street in both cities, had no idea their past, the background, what party they swing for, nothing like that, just went up to them and asked them the question, what issue matters to you most going into the next election? And Jenna, every single youth voter I talked to in Iowa and Wisconsin all said that their number one issue is the economy. Uh, the disastrous economic policies of the Biden-Harris administration aren't just affecting my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. It's affecting us as well. I mean, we're having to pay for gas. We're having to pay for food when we go out to eat with our friends. We're paying for groceries. We're paying for road trips. It's costing us just as much as it's costing them. And my generation's realizing that what's going on in the White House right now is not effective, and they won't change. And, and so that's kind of the conversation I'm having right now. Even with less of students that I speak to on college campuses, they realize that what's happening in Washington is not working, and they won't change come next November.
That really surprises me, actually, that uh, the the youth voters would say that the economy is their number one concern. Uh, Was there any discussion uh, about the student loan um, forgiveness program that Biden is trying to push through and, you know, some of that as well as they're either looking at going to college or in college? Yes, absolutely. So either I I would hear it from two perspectives. I would either hear a, as a student conservative student, they would say, well, no, 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 that's terrible. He doesn't need to be paying for that. We're $33 trillion in debt. Which I'm impressed any time a college student can recite how much we're in debt. That's, that's impressive to me. Or I'll have a liberal student say, oh, well, Biden lied to us. He campaigned the fact that he was going to pay for my student loan. Now I'm in college of student debt, and he, he failed on me because he couldn't get a student loan passed. So both groups are mad at him, which I think is going to be good for Republicans when we propose an alternative candidate come you know, next November that will actually be truthful to American pe- people who is a promises made, promises kept president, who can actually you know, stick with the promises that he makes the campaign trail, unlike Joe Biden, who's lied to the American people. Yeah, and I'm speaking with Brilliant uh, Hollyhand, who is the RNC Youth Advisory Council co-chair and host of the Brilliant Hollyhand Show. And you mentioned earlier, Brilliant, about how um, the Democrats and and the leftists have really used social media so effectively uh, to target young voters. And we saw that particularly with the rise of Facebook. And you know, back in um, around 2008 and the first uh, Obama victory, how social media was successful. And then, of course, we've seen how the Biden administration is colluding with big tech and um, that those ongoing problems of censoring conservative views. Uh, but in terms of um, addressing some of these issues like the economy and then putting out um, the conservative plan and showing young voters on social media why conservative policies actually work and leftist policies don't, um, what is the goal or the, the uh, possibility that you are looking at and the RNC is looking at um, to really target that issue then, particularly on social media with young voters? Sure. So when I had my first meeting with Chairwoman McDaniel back in January, the first thing I said was, look, we've got to get the RNC's message out to my generation. And what's the best way to do that? It's to speak our language, to go where we already are, not reinvent the wheel, go where we already are, and that's online. So we have been pumping out social media contacts on social media heavily since you know January we officially lost the council in May when we got our twelve person group together. That's really been our focus is getting social media content up. Jenna, you and I worked closely together during the twenty twenty election and you remember how good say states like Pennsylvania, states like Arizona, states like Georgia, their Democrat groups did really well of using the term of make a plan to vote, hashtag make a plan to vote. They they did really good on getting, you know, catchy slogans or, or catchy links or catchy graphics out. And they would even have celebrities come and post them as well. In these swing states, you know, the Democrats ended up winning in, in 2020. So they did a really good job of, of getting this stuff in advance, making sure that people banked to vote early, making sure people you know, knew to have a plan on election day, whether they were going to vote on their lunch break or going to vote after, after work with a bunch of a big group of friends. They did really, really, really well of getting this information out in a catchy, remember-in-your-head way on social media. And we have to counter that if we want any shot at winning next November. So that's what we've been doing. We, we launched uh, the Bake Your Vote initiative, which is something that, you know, Ron McDaniel and the RNC is doing it. And we're helping with the social media outreach part of that. That's, you know, something that I'm helping lead with the RNC. And our big thing is, like I said, getting it out through social media. So, yes, next week I'll be in Dallas with the RNC at, at, a, at a supporter retreat for, for some of their, you know, bigger supporters, and I'll be speaking there about some of these things that we're doing, and, and you know, Rana and some other people that aren't still be speaking. But my main thing, I don't, I know, the supporters are great, but my area is actually talking to young voters. So how do I explain this to young voters? It's through social media videos. That's where I'm natural at. 
So we have had every single presidential candidate up until this point film videos, a Republican presidential candidate film videos encouraging people to, hey, go ahead and mark November 5th, 2024 on your calendar. Go ahead and make a plan if you're going to be out of town to vote early. Go ahead and make sure you're registered to vote. Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence. Um, you know, they, they've all come together to film these videos collectively to make sure that this message gets out to young voters. And that's been our focus because we have to, we have a messaging problem in, in the Republican side. And that's something we have to counter if we want to shut it. Yeah, so well said. We do have a messaging problem. And it seems like it takes a lot more words to explain the conservative position yeah. instead of just some of these, you know, hashtag uh, campaigns that the Democrats effectively use because, you know, you can uh, you can twist things and, and make it sound really great. But to actually put forward a policy in a hashtag or um, or a small you know, social media slogan is more challenging. And um, so with the divide, though, between how young people um, you know, even younger than me. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, in the generation that started Facebook, but some of these other um, apps like, um, you know, TikTok and Snapchat and, you know, some of these other things I don't even use and um, that that your generation uh, definitely uh, does. And, you know, some of these Reddit threads and, you know, all of these other ways um, besides X, formerly known as Twitter, that, um, that, that more of my generation at least would use. Um, have you found that there is a a difference in understanding between the donors that you want to support social media campaigns, how they understand and consume their news and how they understand that, that the youth um, con- consume their news versus what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so, I mean, has there been um, any challenge there in, in getting um, the older donors to understand why social media is so important? Yes, 100%. And uh, when I have somebody ask me that, I just share them my story. I got on TikTok a few months ago and in the middle of everybody saying it needs to be banned, it needs to do this. And yes, I absolutely agree that there's security concerns with TikTok, Jenna. But my generation's on there regardless. People in my class at school don't care that China's looking at their data. They really don't know that. They're on there for the cat videos and videos about Taylor Swift or whatever they're on there for. They're going to be on there regardless. And there's a lot of leftist propaganda on there. So say if Republican you know, voices like myself and yourself, if we all boycott the app, there's no opposing viewpoint. They're just getting this up as propaganda. So I got on there a few months ago. I built up about 50,000, 55,000 followers in just a few short months, which shows that there are Republicans on there who are interested in the views and, and messages that we're sharing, and they want that. They're hungry for that. So I've been putting content out. Another, another thing I'll share real quick, a mutual friend, a really close mutual friend of both of ours, Vita Kramaswamy, he just got on TikTok a few weeks ago, the day or two before this that second Republican debate that was in California. He has been incredibly, incredibly effective at getting his message out through social media. All he does is, uh, in the car ride from one event to another, he'll film a quick video and say, hey, I was just in Des Moines, Iowa, and I just met with this voter who had this concern, and this is how I'm going to encounter that. And the videos get hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views, and it's proving incredibly successful. So Vivek, and, and he's done this in his entire campaign, has done a really good job of harnessing social media to get his message out. I think that's something that other candidates should really learn from. Whether Vivek makes it all the way to the White House or not, whoever is our actual Republican nominee needs to learn that they can't just sit back in an echo chamber like True Social or something like that and, and assume that they can get their message out to Generation Z. I'll tell you right now, Jennifer, 
my generation is not on true social. They're not getting the message that some Republican presidential candidates are posting on there. You have to be where you voters already are. And I'm not even saying that that particular candidate needs to get on TikTok or get on a platform like we are, but they need to be making sure their message gets out to them, whether that's through surrogates, influencers, or people who already have a following built up. You have to get your message where we are. If not, Gen Z is just going to completely tune you out and have no idea what you're standing for. That's a really good point. And I know that there are a lot of people, um, you know, myself included, that have avoided TikTok because of uh, the reasonable calls of, you know, why to ban it. But it isn't banned right now. And so um, I might have to rethink uh, getting on TikTok just for the purpose you articulated, which is if there's no opposing viewpoint, then everyone who's already on that is only hearing one side and one message. And, you know, we often as Christians and as conservatives go into hostile forums all the time uh, to spread the truth of the gospel of Christ, uh, first and foremost, but also to uh, spread the conservative message and the philosophies that are built on a biblical worldview and uh, moving forward for the country and to encourage young people, because if they're not uh, hearing those arguments, um, then it's going to take more to persuade them uh, later once they're more solidified uh, as leftists and buy into that message. So that's a really great point. And um, in just the last um, maybe minute and a half I have with you here, uh, Brilliant Hollyhand, and I'm so grateful for your service uh, to the country and um, for you just getting um, the message out and trying to target youth voters uh, to understand the principles of conservatism. Where can people find you, uh, your show? And also, if a young person is listening, how can they get involved in your advisory council, your coalitions, and help? Yes, absolutely. So my social media is all at Ryland Hollyhand on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Follow me on there. If you're a young person interested in getting involved, feel free to DM me, reach out to me. We'd love to get you plugged in. Wherever college campus that you're attending, if you're a high school student, we'd love to have you help as well. My website's thetruthgazette.com. Again, my social media is at Brown Hollyhan, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Jenna, I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. You're a dear friend, and you know I've always got your back, and I'm happy to support a fellow Christian conservative. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, my friend. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are still, of course, praying for those in Israel and monitoring uh, the situation going on between Israel, Hamas and Hezbollah and also the United States response. And so joining me now for another update uh, is my good friend, Joel Rosenberg, who is the editor in chief of All Israel News. If you are not following All Israel News, go to allisrael.com for the latest headlines and also follow at Joel C. Rosenberg on X, formerly known as Twitter, for all of the quick uh, highlights and updates. And so, uh, Joel, how are you, first of all, and uh, what is going on in terms of the latest in Israel. Well, Jenna, great to be with you. Uh, shalom from Jerusalem. Not a lot of shalom here right now. Uh, not a lot of... Yeah, let me give you a few updates. First, I'm very grateful that you would direct people to our All Israel News site 
at allisual.com, where we're providing literally hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute coverage. All of the, our leadership team and, and, and most of our staff are, are followers of Jesus Christ. So you have a, a biblical worldview and a very credible site. However, <laughs> uh, right now we're under our third cyber attack um, since this war began, and the site is down. We're, we had it. We were attacked uh, this morning. Got it back up. We've been attacked again, so somebody doesn't want us to be um, providing honest, credible uh, coverage. So I appreciate the, uh, your prayers and the prayers of your listeners, but we should be up again soon, Lord willing. That's the first thing. Second thing, um, yeah, we haven't—Israel um, uh, hasn't yet gone in full-on into the invasion in northern uh, Gaza. Uh, you'll recall that on Friday, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu— gave uh, Palestinian residents of northern Gaza, particularly in and around Gaza City, 24 hours to um, flee south to give them time to get out of the way and away from all of the Hamas, you know, uh, bunkers, missile sites, um, command centers, all the Hamas infrastructure, which is mostly located in and around Gaza City. Not entirely, of course, uh, but out of, as a humanitarian gesture, we just wanted to get the, the million or so that live in that northern half of the Gaza Strip, give them time to get out. Now, it's um, late Monday or mid Monday afternoon here, um, and we have not yet invaded. Um, and that is a decision that the prime minister has made to give Gaza residents more time. Uh, uh, the New York Times is reporting that about a half million Palestinians have uh, fled south to find shelter before this invasion of the north comes. Um, and uh, I hope that, uh, that, that more people will heed this, but we're seeing reports uh, and we're seeing evidence that Hamas themselves are telling people to stay in place and they're blocking the, the route to get south. Now, why would Hamas do that? Because Hamas doesn't want just Jewish people to die. Hamas wants Palestinians to die. Why? Because they want television images of dead Palestinians that they can say to the world, see, we're not the monsters. Israel is the monsters. And I just want to say, Jenna, as an as a Israeli citizen, as a Jew from my, on my father's side, and as an evangelical follower of Jesus, I'm very grateful and proud of my uh, government. It's, it's a flawed government. I mean, everyone's is. But to take this time to give innocent civilians time to get out of the way and separate themselves from the Hamas terror infrastructure. One other point, yesterday I was uh, reporting for All Israel News and my TV show on TBN, the Rosenberg Report, and I, I was actually on the front lines right on the Gaza border um, with a film crew, and we came under rocket attack. I, I, it's, you know, for everybody in the United States who's listening to your show, uh, you know, I know when you see it on television, you, you can hopefully be moved by how scary it would be to be under rocket attack. And But when you're in uh, the, the Israeli town of Starot, which is just a, two kilometers from the Gaza border, you have less than 15 seconds from where you hear those sirens and, and alerts sounding to get into a bomb shelter. I've done it before over the years, delivering humanitarian relief with our organization, the Joshua Fund. But 
it's been a few years, and I got to tell you, your heart races, your adrenaline is pumping, and uh, it was. Uh, I've got a video of it that I tweeted out. It just and it, it's hard to explain to somebody just how scary it is to live under live missile fire. But um, uh, thank God, neither myself nor my team nor any of the foreign ambassadors who'd come to the front to look at the atrocities that Hamas has committed. Fortunately, none of us uh, were injured, much less uh, killed. And I'm speaking with Joel Rosenberg, who is the editor-in-chief of All Israel News. And um, I'm so grateful for the Lord's protection for you and for uh, the others that were with you. And um, this this is just horrific. And when you describe how Hamas is um, and, and the leadership is, is telling um, citizens and, and actually preventing them from leaving, telling them to stay um, and, and doesn't care about uh, their own citizens. They just care about the media narrative. I mean, that is true terrorism. It's, it's not just about having animosity that is totally unfounded against the Jewish people, against Israel, but even against their own people. I mean, that that is just the definition and personification of evil. And um, yeah. how... How is uh, how, in your view, is Israel going to respond to this? You've mentioned that there hasn't been an all-out uh, response to this. What do you expect in the forthcoming uh, days? Well, there there is certainly a response from the air. The, I, I, we're witnessing uh, probably the largest uh, and most aggressive uh, bombing campaign. I mean, I mean, and I'm talking about precision missiles. Uh, airstrikes against Hamas targets in northern uh, Gaza uh, ever. I, I'm not aware that it, there have been more missiles and bombs dropped there um, in, in Israeli history. I, I, I could be wrong about that if you go back to the actual conquering of Gaza back in 1967, but I, I think where we are now, it's, it's much, much more. So all of that is designed to, uh, and then we, by the way, we have also, through those strikes, taken out at least three senior Hamas uh, terror commanders. So including the, one of the ones that, that, that planned and, uh, and led uh, one of the uh, barbaric raids into an Israeli uh, community that's just slaughtering everybody that they found. So, so there's a lot of action going on. What, what hasn't happened yet is the, what was called the ground game. And, and again, part of that, I mean, the most of it is this idea that I just said, where Prime Minister Netanyahu and now his new you know, partner in the government, former opposition leader, Benny Gantz, who is a former defense minister, former chief of staff of the Israeli army. And this is very good, very good that these two are working together. It, it really, they, uh, Gantz brings a lot of experience, and the country needs comfort that this is not a political operation. This is the unif- unification of government and opposition. But together, their, their main reason is to give Palestinians more time uh, to get out of the way. But, of course, it, get, it gives Hamas more time to, to booby trap, to lay mines, um, and to uh, and and to some of them to escape or blend into the crowd. I can't even think of another government that tells its enemy, its sworn mortal enemy, uh, you know, you've got time to get out of the way or or to set things up, set up traps. But you know, but I'm glad that we're doing it. But the other thing is to get the army ready. You know, it, uh, we're a reserve army. Right. We don't keep a big standing army of like a million people like in the United States. We we have reservists. And almost every young man I know under the age of 40 is gone. 
my wife just hosted her normal weekly Bible study here, and uh, women, and 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 there's none of them have a husband around anymore. They, like they're all at the front, and they're all preparing, and they're all training, and they all know uh, if they're on the Gaza border. Some of them are on the on the northern border because we're afraid of a a second front opening up with Hezbollah, the terrorist organization that Iran funds in Lebanon, and others are out in the West Bank because there's a growing violence there, too. So, But, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to send your husband, your brother, your father off to war, and you just don't know what will happen next. And we are, again, just praying for the safety of everyone uh, in Israel and also in Gaza, these, these people who... Um, you know, by by no fault of their own, uh, their federal headship um, and their civil government leaders are responding uh, with these types of atrocities. And so uh, we are praying for the safety of they're, they're cruel slave masters. I mean, let's just be yeah. honest, Jenna. Yeah, they did win an election back in 2005. But talk about a rigged election. <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. want to get it. I don't want to get into the American question, but this was definitely a rigged election when a terrorist organization takes over um, in 2005. But the point is, um, let's say, let's let's put it this way: uh, Hamas is not making Gaza great again. Okay, <laughs> they've ruined this thing. They are slave masters. They are terror masters. It is a sick, demonic, twisted uh, situation. And you know, it's interesting, just as an aside, uh, but but related, Jenna. Uh, today, the New York Times has an interesting article about evangelical support for Israel and why so many evangelical Christians so strongly support Israel. And I spent about a half an hour on the phone with one of the two reporters that were working on the story yesterday. Actually, I was just as I was coming back from that that rocket strike, uh, uh, I was still catching my breath, but uh, doing this uh, interview with this reporter and 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 over all the articles mostly fair uh i don't usually say that about the new york times but <laughs> but but they totally left out my main point which which you know you think oh my gosh i guess that's why i run my own news sites but um because i said of course uh, you know i'm a very strong pro-israel evangelical and that's why we run all israel news and do this show on tbn i said but here's the thing evangelical Christians are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to love our neighbors, and our neighbors are the two million Palestinians in Gaza, right? So, of course, I want my country to win. I want them. I want us to win uh, fast. I want us to win completely. I want us to win smart and compassionately. But we've got to win to eradicate this this satanic force that we're up against. But we need to have compassion. On these on Palestinians, we need to, you know, we we do need to care about them, and they. I don't think that fit the New York Times narrative. Um, you know, the the parts they put in, they're all about how we, you know, most evangelicals love Israel because they see it as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the end times. Well, partly that's true. But not everybody who loves Israel and is a Christian thinks that way, but I, I certainly do. I see the rebirth of Israel in 1947 as absolutely the film fulfillment of a series of Bible prophecies. But, but I think the New York Times narrative is also these people are a little kooky. You know, they're all like thinking you know the Bible's real and the prophecies are true. And um, they and, and if you tell them, look, Christians have compassion for Palestinians. Not every Christian has thought about that and how to 
activate that in their own lives. But but certainly my wife and I have, and I explained to her that our you know Joshua Fund that we've provided almost a hundred million dollars in humanitarian relief and strength for the church, strengthening for the church and stuff for Israelis and Palestinians over the last seventeen years. I'm not saying that that reporter didn't want to put it in, but certainly her uh, her paper didn't put it in. So whatever. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's worth reading the article, but. Uh, but, but it goes so much deeper than that. And yeah, I mean, and of course, the New York Times is not going to want to make Christians seem rational, reasonable, compassionate, humanitarian, any of those things. They just want to paint us all as these, you know, crazy um, sky daddy believers, right? I mean, that's what everybody posts on social media rather than the truth of the matter, which is that we believe all human beings are made in the image of God, have inherent dignity and worth. And certainly we can point out um, the terrorism of, the, you know, these, as, as you put it, you know, these um, slave warmongers or uh, slave masters right. and um, and warmongers, um, and yet we can still have compassion for those who didn't choose evil and who are caught uh, in a fight that they didn't start, they didn't participate in, and they are truly the innocents of, of this type of war, yeah. and that's a more complicated narrative. Um, but in just the last two minutes I have with you, Joel Rosenberg, and I always so appreciate your time. Thank you for everything you're doing. We're praying for you. Um, mm, really welcome. quick, there is, um, as an American citizen as well, Joe Biden is talking about bringing in some of these uh, refugees from Gaza, and um, Governor DeSantis has said that as president, he would uh, bring in zero people from Gaza and also has led that 270 Americans, um, including 91 children, this is breaking as of 26 minutes ago, were brought home from Israel last night in rescue operations organized by the DeSantis um, administration. So in terms of the U.S. policy, um, what is your perspective on the Gaza refugees? Yeah, I can give it to you quick. Uh, in this case, and I'm not taking any positions uh, politically, but I'm saying uh, DeSantis is right. Uh, not a single Gazan Palestinian should be entering the United States. Um, uh, that's not a lack of compassion. There's an entire Arab world that, that you know, Egypt won't even let uh, Palestinians right now into the Sinai. I, that's being negotiated, and maybe as, as, as we speak, that's changing. But, but like, there, you know, there are dozens of Arab countries that can let Palestinian refugees in that speak Arabic, same, you know, culture, language, you know, uh, food. Like, there's no reason to bring them in the United States. I mean, it, it, you know, that's not a lack of compassion, but we also right. haven't vetted these people. You know, Gaza is a hot exactly. Many of them are innocent, but many of them aren't. So let's just be honest. Yeah, well, Jill Rosenberg, really appreciate it. Go to allisraelnews.com as soon as you're back up. Always appreciate your time. And we'll be back with more tomorrow here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. You can always reach me and my team at Jenna at AFR.net. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.